My name is Kimberly Young, psychiatric nurse practitioner and assistant medical director at Hillside. Hillside provides mental health services to children, adolescents, and their families. Our clients struggle with a variety of mental health disorders and symptoms, including depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, self-harming behaviors, suicidal ideation, impulsivity, and mood dysregulation. While we are experts in clinical treatment, we also acknowledge there are stories, both discouraged and triumphant, behind each of our clients. Children and families struggling with a mental health diagnosis frequently feel alone and stigmatized by a society that does not understand their pain. Connection with others experiencing similar journeys can provide hope that there is a path to healing. Reframing mental health and ending the stigma starts with open and honest conversations about one's experience with mental illness and their journey leading to health. So my name is Brian. I'm 17 and I'm from San Juan, Puerto Rico. Growing up, I think I um, did things the average kid would do. Played video games, did a sport here and there, and tried to get into hobbies. Mental health to me is, I suppose, the stability of your thought process and how well you can reason with not only others, but yourself. I feel like it. mental health in the media is rarely even portrayed at all and when it is it is in often a very negative way because mental health isn't just the bad stuff it's also the good stuff when you think of physical fitness you think of uh, maybe a bodybuilder you wouldn't think of somebody who's having a lot of physical problems in their life and it should be the same way with mental health that you should think of it as something you work towards just like physical health or academics or social or it should just be an everyday aspect of life not something that should be singled out by the media I started to realize like issues with mental health when I was in seventh grade and that was when I was around 13. It comes early and there's not really anything that anybody prepares you for because there's not much anyone can prepare you for. It just, it's different for everyone. It felt in the moment a lot like, oh, this will pass. Oh, this is probably just a phase. Oh, it's part of growing up. But then if you ignore it, it becomes more than just part of growing up. It becomes a real health problem and you know that a lot of times the first ones to notice it are your closest friends that might see you every day and they see you slowly change maybe you something that didn't bother you before now bothers you something that didn't make you sad before now makes you sad and it's little changes like that that really started to give away that something was off there was moments where you did something good and something bad. So the something bad was that I started to self-harm. Hi, I'm Wendy. I'm Brian's mom. Well, they sent him to the mental hospital. They didn't say much at that time. It was a different hospital than Hillside. And the difference between Hillside and the other hospitals are, are big. I didn't have any idea that he was cutting. Um, it's like a mixed emotion. You are surprised, sad, mad, like very confused at the same time why he's doing this to himself. Talking to my parents with this issues on mental health with me was not easy and I didn't really do it at all at first. It took a long time to be able to do that. 
My name is Luis. I'm Brian's dad. Before we get any sign fr from the therapist or doctors about Brian's issues, we didn't notice any sign or any issues with him. Uh, we basically thought that Brian was a little quiet, uh, that his personality was a little close. He always performed very well on school. It got us out of the blue. Very shocking moment for us. So when we initially get the news from the therapist that they were recommended Brian for a mentor institute, as a parent, you blame yourself and your first reaction is trying to fix it. And some, this is something that you cannot fix. We were trying to find a team to help him. And that was really hard. We discovered his site. First, his therapist realized that she couldn't help Brian anymore. And she began to talk to us about DBT therapy. Brian got in the hospital again. That's when he attempted suicide at our house while we were sleeping. And they sent him to another mental hospital. With other therapy that I had done before, it was more you talk things out. But talking really only gets you so far. With DBT, it felt like you were actually actively engaged. And rather than just talking and hoping that the problem goes away, it felt more like you were getting up and fighting it away. It was very different to what I expected, but it was in a good way. But it still was terrifying because I knew that this wouldn't be a week and then I leave. This would be for however long it needs to be. Um, my name is Dr. Vey. I am a clinician here at Hillside. Been working with Brian for three years, about three years. Um, I'm a clinician in the in the residential and day program. So I so my thoughts on DBT is that it's it's probably one of the most effective forms of treatment for adolescents and adults because it is an more of a skill-based applicable treatment so it's different than okay we can talk about your problems we can process through them and then what do you do right when things come up and so with dbt you're actually given something to do so it's more of a replacement you can't learn unlearn a learned behavior and so we focus on just replacing it and so that neuroplasticity of replacing those maladaptive behaviors with more adaptive behaviors so that eventually over the course of treatment, the maladaptive behaviors are no longer in the repertoire because they've been replaced with something more adaptive. And I think that now, given all of the environmental stressors with social media and, and all of those factors, that DBT could be a huge component for just adolescents in general because it really helps to slow down turning thoughts into facts um, and being able to use skills when life just is life. There was someone here that I think that they described it much better than I could and that DBT is just a fancy way of saying these are basic life skills that everyone should have. It should be taught. This is something that is so basic, but at the same time so important and so helpful that there's no reason not to be teaching it widely. And it ranges everything from meditation, exercise, talking, just things that you could do for fun could be therapy. So when we came for the first visit, that was a week after we left him, Brian was a complete different person. He was very excited. We can't believe it. Um, 
second week was a different story. That's actually a term that the staff here use. It's called the honeymoon week. And the, the honeymoon week, and they say it's everything is great, but there's uh, almost the second or third week, everyone has a crash. And they know it well, so they were ready to deal with it. And the second week was the first family session, and that was to start speaking about it actively was overwhelming. There are some things you ease your way into, other things you just, if you don't tackle it head on, it's never going to get solved. About the second month is when it started to exponentially increase in well-being. I think just the constant DBT reminder, like you wake up, you do your morning hygiene, um, you eat, and then you would do a bit of DBT, go to school, halfway through, more DBT, leave school, more DBT dinner more dvd like they hammer it in but in a light way so not like drilling it into you but making sure that it becomes not something you force yourself to do but something that is just natural and second nature to you it really helps the symptoms they never stayed the same they some came and went and then came back again others evolved almost feeling a lot of loneliness and a lot of um, just things that I used to enjoy suddenly losing that interest you try and do them and you suddenly can't focus on it or it's just not as fun as it used to be yeah I do think the symptoms definitely change from patient to patient and um, loneliness and sadness tend to be a typical symptom with the depression and anxiety that I know in Brian's case it really it evolved in a more intense way just being able to fully experience the loneliness and not judge that emotion or judge yourself for having the emotion is where really we started and started to progress from there when we were just able to accept the loneliness and move through it as opposed to getting stuck in it. I think because I had been to many other places before, I had sort of been used to new therapists, gotta explain everything again. Um, so I don't think that really bothered me. It was the fact that it was discussing something with my parents because I had never really communicated with them ever with anything good or bad. I believe it was probably the th second or third time we met that she started introducing me to a DBT technique which is the most effective for me called self-soothe and it's you use your senses to sort of calm yourself. Maybe a song you really enjoy makes you feel better and you just listen to it and think about it. Or uh, one of my favorites is just to play with putty. Something a child can do, but it's very entertaining and it keeps you busy and keeps your mind off things and can almost help you concentrate on something else. Or it could be a, could be a taste, something extremely sour. <laughs> I, I love sour things, so she always gave me a sour warhead and that, that takes your mind off everything right away. And could be maybe ice on your forehead, which is weird to think about it because when, when you get worked up, you get 
hot and when you put ice on yourself you cool down both mentally and physically and it's it works um it was probably the second or third session individual that we really talked about some of the things that brought him into treatment and he you know he recognized that it's really tough and and like i said i could i could tell that it was more of a resistance because this is painful versus like a lack of commitment i think where i started was probably at one of the darkest times um because we were really tapping into the darkness which was re-emerging all of the um the symptoms and the the experiences that were painful to be able to put something into words and to talk about it is far more helpful than to just think about it because if you can put it into words then you can write it down and if you can write it down you can memorize it and if you memorize it next time something bad happens you can remember hey this is similar to this and you can see what caused a lot of things because you'd be tracking almost how everything happened step by step and if you can go back and figure out what happened then maybe in the future you can not necessarily stop happening because you can't stop everything but be able to know you can get through it on your own so my my first initial goal of treatment was to get some of the very the really intense emotions that were more threats of the emotion not the emotion itself getting Brian to habituate to those emotions so that they didn't they weren't as painful when he experienced them so the first part of what we did with Brian was the exposure around some environmental stimuli in the home and working to habituate to those and while doing that addressing there's something we call a diary card addressing his targets over the course of the week and analyzing when a target number is high or when he's acted on one of his urges being able to analyze that day to be able to figure out what the vulnerabilities were and the contributing factors to get you to the problem behavior and then figure out where okay so where do we need to strengthen your skills at to be able to reduce the vulnerability so that we don't get to the problem behavior being able to look back on it now and knowing in the moment i did not enjoy it at all but seeing as even if it felt like it didn't work at the moment the constant just analyzing of behavior patterns and how your emotions were throughout the week it allowed you to finally get more insight on how you are and maybe more insight was all you needed to just finally start working towards something better because you didn't know what was bad in the first place so it was not fun but helpful the one that sticks out for me another treatment breakthrough i think that sticks out for me i can remember brian saying that he had really strong urges to self-harm on the unit and he didn't self-harm he used opposite action by eating something that he enjoyed and so he treated himself instead of harming himself that was a huge breakthrough um it was a granny smith apple actually yeah um but i had not had one in years prior and it was weird to think i'm having bad thoughts so let me treat myself 
because it's like without help your first thought is like well that's not good i'm having bad thoughts i don't deserve anything well if you only think like that then you'll think you never deserve anything ever and that just doesn't work but i remember they gave me an apple and just focused on everything the apple whether it's the skin of the apple the color the taste i focused on that rather than self-harming which was a tough thing for me to do because i had self-harmed for years and that was the first time i really stopped myself the range for me was mostly cutting i found a sort of pleasure in that and it made everything feel better just even if it was just for a moment for me that was the only way i self-harmed but there are much much more ways some not as bad some much worse they're all bad self-harming is almost absolutely a gateway to suicide maybe not even intentionally but it it's a lot like a drug you get used to it and then you want to do more so you have to do more and more intense like a drug because you get used to it and it becomes an addiction and it's it starts to take over parts of your life for cutting it it started off maybe once a month then once a week then twice a week and three times a week then once a day twice a day three times a day whether it's at home or at school was just sort of experimenting you would have to wear clothing that would hide it mostly if it's on your arms you would have to wear a long sleeve shirt or a jacket because at school no one would tell the counselor they would just make fun of you for it and at home there was the fear of they're gonna overreact and think i'm trying to like end my life or something and take drastic measures for something that in the moment you may feel is not that big the struggle that i had with brian that i think probably took the most time was to get him to see that his body was okay not to hurt right he had a really hard time of recognizing it's okay right i'm not killing myself so why am i just hurting myself that's okay and so getting him to see why it was problematic um was was a struggle at first and i always had warheads or had ice packs or something so that i used to say like i can put you back together before you leave and so there wasn't that fear of i don't want to go down this rabbit hole and then the session ends and then i have to go home i can still see the immense amount of improvement i have made over the past three years because three four years ago to the day i would be in school and I would probably go home and cut, or go home and not interact with anyone for the rest of the day. And now, after this, I go to work. <laughs> I got something to do. I got people to talk to. I've got money that I'm making. I'm, I, I like what I do. I'm working at a movie theater. It's a lot of fun. And sometimes I do, like maybe late at night, just think, wow, years ago, this would have been way different. And look at me now. I may not say I'm proud in anything, but it's like, good job, Brian. Um, three years ago, I I just wanted him to see that the loneliness wouldn't last forever. I don't even think it 
at that point, I don't even think it was until about a year ago that I even focused on getting a job, right? I think maybe there was period of time where I focused a little too heavy on trying to get him to do something that I wanted him to do and not necessarily his goals, but he quickly said that was my goals and not his goals, so we shifted. And so it probably wasn't until a year ago where, you know, I thought that we could move towards looking for a job, looking for different things. And that was a struggle to to be able to, because that's another thing like the loneliness, you can't guarantee you're going to walk into a place and get a job. Right? Like we looked at Target for a really long time and you can generate all this hope and at the end of the day, they may not be hiring. Right? And so I think that was, I sort of treaded lightly around that too because I didn't want to generate too much hope and not have a guarantee in the end. It always felt like a friend and coworker almost put into one because it would be, you can talk about anything like a friend, but you can also get business done like a coworker. And it it really allowed a lot of progress to be made. Things that feel like other therapists just didn't work for me. The the DBT skills that he needed was mostly the distress tolerance of being able to do something in the moment to decrease emotions um, so he didn't get stuck or feel like this is never going to end. So we had a, a, a sort of a skills plan in the evenings that he used self-soothe with hot cocoa. We used the ice a lot and the, the sour candies. Um, but the main things that he needed to really uh, master were those that he could use in the moment of intense emotions to be able to, to decrease the suffering around it. With intense emotions, it's... As I've said before, like a diet, if you exercise and diet and then just stop, you're not suddenly going to stay <laughs> fit. Uh, you have to keep working towards it and to the point where it becomes sort of second nature. And once it becomes second nature, it doesn't even feel like you're working towards anything. It just feels like you're just doing it. You're able to get through things that you never thought you could get through before without even thinking about it. Now it's talking about the good things that are going on in his life. What he's doing successfully. I don't think there's been any other things that have that have come up in the last several months to address. They're usually coming in with good news. I think he has and I don't want to speak for you, but I think he has like a, a newfound respect for like relationships. Um, like peer relationships and getting having a job and being able to you know go to work and go I think I think this is the part that I've put on him um, I think go back to school I tried lightly around that too um, but I mean doing something that he wants to do right like so that was always the the struggle of it was something somebody else wanted and so now I think he has the a world of opportunities to really handpick what it is that he wants to focus on so that he's doing it for himself and not for others I think the main thing that I think the really important thing to, to really remember is that resistance and treatment doesn't always equate to not being committed and so getting through those initial sessions that 
maybe your child comes home and says, this isn't working, I don't want to do this. Really getting through that that piece of it. So we say you have to go through misery to get out of hell, right? Like, so really working through that misery piece so that the therapist, so that the client can feel like the therapist is alongside them to be able to make the journey a little smoother. Even when I was giving up on myself almost on a weekly basis, she was a little stubborn (laughs) saying, "Uh, no, you're not done. Didn't let me give up because she would always imply like we're not done till I say we're done and she never said we're done so look at me now (laughs) it's been a very positive impact it's a lot like a roller coaster because what makes a roller coaster fun the highs and the lows if the roller coaster only ever goes high and then just doesn't come back down that's a boring roller coaster (laughs) so you need the lows to appreciate the highs I'm uh, naturally a very good test taker, so I wasn't too nervous, but there was, right beforehand, a sense of nervousness, knowing that this is probably something, well not probably, this is something very important, and I wasn't doing the GED for my parents, I wasn't doing it for you, Miss Kim, (laughs) I was doing it for myself, because I chose to do the GED, I finished the test, and because it's online, you see your scores almost immediately, so being in the waiting room and seeing all the scores saying, congratulations, you passed. It was a big uh, sigh of relief. Like, that part's over. Don't have to ever look on it again. It's not something I have to ever worry about again. It's a lot of stress gone. And now I can look towards a college. <laughs> well, it, 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 I think it feels good in multiple ways. One is that he did it for himself that it's not for somebody else because that intrinsic motivation is what's going to keep it. Um, and then the, I knew, you know, I, I was confident in the college piece of it because it is picking, handpicking what it is that is interesting to him. Um, but it, I think it makes me feel good to know that it was done for him, that he did it for himself. I couldn't get him to do it for me. So so I the, to be able to say, like, I did this because this is what I wanted. And that I think that intrinsic motivation is an area that was not in my repertoire of uh, treatment two years ago. Now we were learning how to have a, a new kid, a different kid with some illness mental illness that it's just normal illness just like cancer or diabetes just it's a mental one but people don't see it that way and they judge them and they judge the family and and it's hard for them i think i'm lucky because when i got here somebody i had known for 12 years was here too but i had never known that they were struggling with something either and Seeing that made me think like, it really is just anyone and everyone that goes through this. You could have something, a mental problem that could be sort of dealt with in a year, or you could have something that's lifelong, or anywhere in between. It's not something that is the same for everyone. Moving on now to being 18, I realize that it's more like, it it has more in common with physical fitness than really anyone gives it credit for. Like, if you go on a diet for a month, 
and then eat junk food for the rest of your life, you're not gonna, you're not gonna keep a healthy body. You, you, you have to keep working on it. There is no fix. It's you work with it. Well, I think everyone's experiences are different. Every family is different, but I will say that never lose hope. Never lose hope. Never give up. Keep fighting for your kid and trust DBT therapy. We didn't know what to do anymore. It was many years and many, many hospital visits and we found Hillside and it's the biggest blessing that we have ever had, finding Hillside because it gave us our kid back. It gave us our kid back. Don't stop, keep fighting, keep looking for help. DBT is a good therapy may help you kid the way that I help Brian and our family too. We have a lot of hope for Brian. We see a bright future for him. He started to understand and appreciate those tiny moments. Me and my wife now sometimes we just sitting on the living room that is below Brian's room and to hear him laughing when he's talking with his friend that makes our day. He helped us to understand what is important in life. Which I, he didn't have to go through this, but the lesson that he teach us is priceless. If I could go back in time, the only things I would really tell myself are that the only way to lose is if you choose to lose. It's going to be okay. Let's see what happens and hope for the best and try my hardest. Maybe, hopefully, it can do the same for someone else.